Is that because I'm moving? Yeah. I've got a question. We're going to be moving on. But speaking about identity, following on from uh, Phil, who spoke last week, I've got a question. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, well done, Vicky. <laughs> that was a, uh, a chant that I was actually <coughs> chanting on the last Tuesday, because we were playing Stag Hammer Band at Stags, and uh, we were chanting that against Tranmere Rovers. <laughs> and uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a kind of question that's really uh, a bit mocking, isn't it? You know, who, are you? who do you think you are? Who are you? And we were chanting that, and they were chanting certain things back, which I won't <laughs> But it's a good question to ask. Who are you? Phil preached a brilliant message last week about identity. I'm not pinching or copying his sermon or anything, but I just want to build on the foundation he lays. So I'm sticking with a foundational piece of scripture. It's from 1 Peter 2, 9 to 11. Hopefully it should come up on the screen. And I'm going to be speaking quite through a lot of scripture tonight, and hopefully it will come up on the screen. And make no apologies for reading from the Bible. I think it's the living word of God. Yes. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2, 19. But you, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, its own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who were, once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's who you are. Identity, knowing who you are, and other people knowing who you are. Now I know the importance of identity, uh, because as a former police officer, finding out the identity of somebody was very important. And I remember being on the major crime unit and dealing with multiple murders uh, over my ten years when I was on the major crime unit. And we used to get an action, you know, a, a, a form, a piece of paper, and we used to have instructions on. And it would say T-I-E, trace, interview, and eliminate. Not eliminate off the face of the earth, but eliminate from the inquiry. And it might say, for example, T-I-E, the lady with the red coat stood at the bus stop on Westgate. And so then we had to go out and try and identify that person. And it got quite tricky at times because to fully identify people, you have to get their full details, their name, their address, and their date of birth. And asking a lady <laughs> their date of birth, it was quite tricky at times. And sometimes they didn't want to tell you. So I hit on an idea. If they were nice to me, and I got on well with them, I used to say, oh, I've got to actually date of birth now, and I bet you, oh, I don't know, we're 42? Oh, no, I'm 51. All right, fine, thank you very much. <laughs> if they weren't that nice, I'd say, oh, you're about 62. Ah, <laughs> oh, cheeky, I'm only 51. Yeah. So, whichever way, I found out <laughs> their identity. Knowing that your identity is so important, I want to tell you a story. I heard this story a number of years ago, and it really, really impacted my life. And I hope it will do the same for you. The story is that uh, there was a rancher in South Africa. He owned a big ranch. And one day he's out in his Land Rover and he's driving along and he hears this noise in the bush. 
So he stops at Land Rover, gets out, slings the rifle over his shoulder, and he walks off into the bush and he sees a lioness giving birth to him. And the lioness is in a lot of pain, a lot of distress. And he just stands and watches for a while. He sees this little lion cub being born. But sadly, the lioness dies. And he looks at this little cub and he thinks, I shouldn't really intervene with nature. This is nature's way of dealing with things at times. There's something that his heart. So he went and picked up this newborn lion cub, eyes still closed, and thought, what can I do with it? And he remembered that his wife had a, a standard poodle, and she'd just given birth to a litter of pups. Four pups had, had given birth to, but two sadly died. So he thought, I wonder, I wonder whether this, this cub, whether the poodle will look after the lion And so he took it home, and mother's instinct kicked in. As soon as he put down this poor defenseless little lion, the poodle and mother just embraced him and started suffering and it lived and it grew and it, it became part of the, the family and he recognised the poodle as his mother and the two poodle uh, dogs as, as his brothers and over the years it grew now he thought it was a poodle it behaved like a poodle it did the things that poodles do in the farm about two miles away it was this mean old bulldog. Oh, it was a mean, ugly looking thing. And one of its greatest pleasures in life was to come across and terrify the family of people. And it would come across one evening, and there it was with a scar over its eye, and a few scars over its eye, with an ear missing, tattoos. And it would come across, and all its joy was just to terrify the poodles and they would cower and shiver with fright and would lay down and submit to this bully, to this beast and it'd eat their food and pinch their bones and the lion cub by this time had grown to three, three sizes the size of the bulldog but because he'd seen his mum and his brothers react in the way that they did he did the same he didn't know any different so he would cower and shiver with fright every time this mean old bulldog came, came around. And he'd submit to this, this creature, this bulldog. And this happened for a number of years until one evening. He was out in the porch with the fools. And this lion just sensed something different about the eagle. It was springtime, a bit, a bit like tonight, really. There was a shift in the atmosphere. The wind changed. And this lion just sensed something. It could smell something on the air. Something stirred within him. Something so deep. Something was happening. And then he heard something. Oh, he heard something. He heard the roar of another lion mountain. And something deep within him just rose up. And all of a sudden he just stood there. 
with his face into the wind. And he let out this enormous roar. The bulldog, two miles away, wondered what all the fuss was. Three comes along to sort out the poodles. And he came walking along and he saw the lion. He thought, huh, here we go. I'll soon sort him out. He's frightened of me. But the lion changed. The lion stood there, opened its mouth with its big teeth, and just let out an enormous roar, and the bulldog went stamping back. Fight to death. He never left that farm again. Interesting story. But there's something changed in that lion because all of a sudden he realised it's true I think he realised he was not a poodle he realised that he was born for something better than what the poodle's existence was identity knowing who you are and other people knowing who you are people have been led to believe they are just a poodle instead of a lion. People have been bullied and bruised by the ugly, scarred bully of a bulldog, Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, call him what you will. He has bullied and frightened people for far too long. You are not poodles. You may have lived like a poodle. You may have been in a church where you've been treated like a poodle. But tonight, there's a change in the atmosphere. Tonight it's time to rise up and be the lion that God wants you to be. You need to stand up, take possession, apprehend, appropriate, seize the real identity. Your God-given, paid with the blood of Jesus Christ identity. How do we do that? Well, we look at the Word of God. The Bible, it tells us about our real identity. I want to share a very well-known story about a young man whose identity was, identity was quite confusing to begin with. He was a young man, the youngest of the family. He was a mere shepherd boy who was anointed to be king whilst he was still a shepherd boy. He became a great leader, king of Israel, had great victories and yet made many mistakes and was known as a a man after God's own heart. Of course, I'm talking about David. Now, I want to share some thoughts about the story of David and Goliath. And I know you'll be sat there thinking, oh, I've heard that story. I've heard many people preach about the story of David and Goliath. I just want to share some one or two points because I believe it's important to understand the identity of who you are, of who we are in Christ. And I want to use the example of David paint that picture more strongly. So you know the story. Goliath, 10 feet tall, nearly 10 feet tall. And I work with a guy at work, he's 6 foot 7. We call him Too Tall, that's his nickname, Too Tall, because he's too tall. Um, but can you imagine? 10 feet. And you call and it says in 1 Samuel 17, I'm reading from the message version, it says this, Goliath stood there and called out to the Israelite troops, basically shouting, who are you? 
Who are you? Yeah. Why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? And you're all committed to Saul, aren't you? So pick your best fighter and pit him against me. If he gets the upper hand and kills me, the Philistines will all become your slaves. But if I get the upper hand and, and kill him, you'll all become our slaves and serve us. I challenge the troops of Israel this day. Give me a man. Let us fight it out together. What a daunting, daunting challenge. Almost seems impossible. Ten feet tall. Muscle. Oh. Frightening. Verse 17, sorry, 16 says, Each morning and evening for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made this speech. 40 days. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Is that just a coincidence? Because we know somebody in the Bible who for 40 days was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. But it just seems to me that sooner or later, I can guarantee that each of us will have to face a giant. A giant of some kind. Whether it is a giant of disease, cancer, illness, a giant of debt, divorce, relationship breakdown. Whatever giant you face, take courage and take comfort from the example and experience of David. David volunteered to face the giant to fight Goliath. David took Verse 4, David took his shepherd's staff and selected five smooth steps. On the riverbank, not his test coat carrying back. <laughs> five smooth stones. And placed them in his shepherd's pack. Five smooth stones. Why five? Why not just one? Or ten? Why? Well, I don't know. There are a lot of theories, but I guess only David really knows. But I want to use the picture of five smooth stones to help us understand the importance of identity. First stone. Stone of the past. Not to live in the past, but to recall past victories. David, in the Bible, said, David said to Saul, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear comes and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it, knock it down, and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck, and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. Now I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is, who is taunting the truth of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. He was remembering his past victories. David didn't focus on the problem facing him, but remembered what God had done for him in the past. Now, I've never faced a lion or a bear in the physical, but I've faced problems in the past. I've been frightened in the past. Dangerous situations at work, I've had knives poured on me and threatened with a saucepan of boiling water, that was quite interesting being kicked and punched and headbutted, had a gun pulled on me, luckily it was a replica but when I look back now I see how God's hand was protecting me and helping me through these dangerous situations and I remember getting called out at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on the firearm team 
And we got called out because somebody had been arrested and uh, he said, uh, two of his cohorts had broken into a farmer's uh, house and had stolen a shotgun, a 9mm pistol and a large 9-inch hunting bowie knife and that had gotten in this flat. And he got the key to the flat. So we decided to do a firearm entry. What are going to be a keep the door in going speed, but very silent approach. But we got the key to the flat. And so we went in, there I am with my firearm, and there, sure enough, there's a guy laying in bed. And just below him, I can see the shotgun. Underneath the pillow was the 9mm pistol and hunting knife. So I, I gently told him not to move, and uh, he, he did what I told him. He was, he was arrested. And then I had to go and search the rest of the house under the guy. It was a, a ground floor flat, and there was some basement, a basement. It was very narrow steps. So I'm going down these steps, one light bulb, there's something like that in the film, one light bulb swinging. So, right. so I'm going down the steps, and there was a big, oh, Victorian wardrobe, massive thing, at the bottom of the stairs. Somebody could be hiding in there. So I put the door open, there's a gun pointed straight back at me. Oh! I said to my mate, this steps the adrenaline running, I can feel it running down back in my legs. And I could see this gun pointing at me. And for this millimetre of a second, my finger tightens on the trigger. And then I look up into the eyes of the man that's holding this gun. And a flicker of recognition. It's me. <laughs> Full-length mirror. I'll tell you something. I'm glad I knew who I was. I'm glad I knew who I was. Because I couldn't always say that. I can't always say that in the past when I've looked in the mirror, I've known who I was. Sometimes I've looked in that mirror and thought, Who are you, Paul? What are you doing? What is life all about? No purpose. No sense of achievement in life. No sense of destiny in life. Who are you? But God gave me a sense of identity. When I realised that Jesus Christ died on that cross for me, as we're singing, we'll never know the cost of Jesus hanging on that cross. When I became a Christian, a child of God, I have a new identity. And I'm glad I know who I am. When you recall the past victories, it gives you hope and confidence to face the giant in front of you. Because you begin to realise that your true identity is not in your strength or prowess or skill, but your identity is knowing who you are in God. That you are loved by the true and living God. Stone 2. The stone of prayer. Prayer is so important. Prayer is all about relationship with God. Prayer helps to build up trust. Trust helps to build up faith. Sometimes you will need to go and flow sometimes into the valley. You can't always live on the mountaintop. Sometimes you have to go into the darkness of the valley at times. David was a man of prayer. He wrote many of the Psalms praising and worshipping God. We'll go back to this 
incident with David and Goliath. Verses 41-42 says, As the Philistines paced back and forth, the shield-bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered. A mere youngster, an apple-cheeked, peached fuzz. I love that description. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a god that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. And David said this. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut your, off your head, and serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't serve by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. David was a man of prayer. Even at such a young age. I remember years ago getting a phone call at work. I was at work and got a phone call. I said, Is that Mr. Stokes? I said, yes. Are you the husband of Elizabeth Stokes? I said, Yes. This is nurse such and such from Darby Royal Infirmary. I'm sorry to say that uh, she's been involved in a very serious accident. Can you get to Darby Royal Infirmary as soon as possible? Boy, did I pray. Did I pray? I put the phone down, got in the car. And I knew that she'd been on a prayer retreat with a friend of ours called Harry, who was in his 70s. So I was thinking, what on earth has happened? So unfortunately, Harry had been driving me, he pulled out on the car, he didn't see him, the car had broadsided him, and unfortunately, Harry died. And Liz was in hospital, all back in the room, and I got to get Darby, more than filming. Sat down, weren't invented. I was in the car, didn't have a map, so I'm saying, God. I need to get to Darby Hospital. Well, I ain't got a clue where it is. You've got to help me, God. You've got to help me get there. Please, God. And I'm just praying all the time. I'm driving. I made this decision. I said, God, I'm going to go straight on at every roundabout I see until you tell me different. So the first roundabout, I went down the 38 and I'm heading towards Darby. I didn't know where, where I was going. First roundabout, I'm going straight on. And this car, this idiot, comes in and speed in here. It's like a turn left. Oh, oh, I'm so if that, I, I, I've got to get to the hospital. So I'm driving down this road to see the next roundabout. So I'm going to go straight on. Baby, car cuts me up again. Unbelievable. So I turned left. And as I turned left, I saw the sign. Barbie, Royal, person. And there I am cursing these people for cutting me up and driving me off the road. And I realise now that God was directing me. He was directing me every time he wanted to And I got there, luckily, the power of prayer prayer when you pray to God it will direct your steps the power of prayer knowing who you are in Christ he won't let you down when you don't know where you're going when you don't know what to do pray because he will direct you stone three the stone of priority. David understood who he was in God and was concerned not about his own reputation, but God's reputation. David could not stand and do nothing when he heard Goliath slagging off the Israelites and their God. David's priority in his life was putting God first. That reminds me of a series we've just recently done. 
And it's so true. Again, when facing your giant, put God first. Obviously, at times, you may need to go to seek advice, professional advice from a solicitor or from a doctor. But don't forget God. Don't leave him out of the equation. Don't leave him out of the situation. Put him first. Remember your past victories. Remember to pray and put God first as your first priority. Stone four. The stone of passion. David was a passionate man. He loved God and his love grew because he understood who he was in God. And he knew that God loved him. This passion for God propelled him forward into the battlefield. It says that that roused the Philistine and he started towards David. David took off from the front line running towards the Philistine. I can just imagine him as a young man. There's a Bible, message Bible describing him. A mere youngster, apple-cheeked and beach-foot, not even shaving yet. Running towards this giant of a man, arms pumping, legs kicking, heart bursting, but at the same time cool and collected, and precise and concentrating on the task ahead before him. Trusting in his aim, but also trusting in God. That kind of passion is, is so difficult to defeat. I love it when I hear about people in church running towards their giants rather than running away and cowering. I love to be around people who run towards their giants. Those kind of people energise me. Yeah. There's too many people in church around this country that say they are Christians. They go to church. They may talk like a Christian, dress like a Christian. But as soon as a giant appears on the battlefield in front of them, they disappear. They cower in the background. Not only do they cower in the background, stalking and sulking, they infect those around them with fear and a sense of defeat. Why? Because they don't understand the importance of knowing their identity in God. We are called to be lions, not fools. They have not grasped the importance of knowing their identity in God. When you know your identity in, in, in God, when you know you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a child of God, then you run towards the giants of depression, death and disease. And you defeat those giants trusting in your past victories. Trusting in the power of prayer. Passionate about his reputation. Passionate about pursuing God first in your life. Stone five, the stone of persistence. David, when he said he would face a giant, was put off by what people said. Verse 28 says, Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternising with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending them scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You come down here to see the, the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. David wasn't put off by other people's expectations or other people's way of doing things. He says that Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armour. He put his bronze helmet on his head, belted his sword around him, over the armour. David tried to walk, but he couldn't even walk. He could hardly budge. And David said... I can't even move all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. We've got to break out of the... This is the way you do it. This is the way we've always done it. 
We're always doing it this way. Yeah. Why are you doing it that way? You don't want to do it that way. You don't want to do it this way. We're always doing it this way. David wasn't swayed by tradition or trying to please everyone else. He was only interested in pleasing God. David was persistent. He took five stones to ensure the job was finished, completed. I don't think he was afraid of missing the target. I don't think that's why he took five stones. I believe that as a shepherd boy out in the field, day in, day out, with no McDonald's or KFC nearby, the only time he would get a meal was when he took his sling and he saw a rabbit. He saw a rabbit scampering around, twisting money, and let the stone fly, knock the rabbit out, three. He knew that when he aimed at something, he would hit it. I don't think David picked up five stones just in case he missed. He was sure of his his shot. I believe these stones he picked up because he had heard or knew about Goliath's brothers and the other giants. We can read about that in 1 Chronicles, verse 20, verses 4 to 8. I haven't got time to read it tonight. We read about it. There were other giants there. Goliath's brothers. And David, motivated by passion for his God, fueled by prayer, egged on by his past victories, putting God first, had thought things through, determined to finish what he had started. How many times do you hear people who started out well, with great passion, great intentions, but then something happens and they give in. They lack persistence. Now I believe one of the reasons is because they never fully understand their identity in God. David is an example to us all. And once you see that David defeating the giant, then everybody else realises that it's not an impossible task. And the rest of the giants in 1 Chronicles were defeated because of David's first example. We couldn't run with confidence towards the giants facing us in our lives. So remember who you are, a chosen people, a royal priesthood called by name. Not one hair of your head falls to the floor without God knowing. You are a child of God. Don't let the giants of your circumstances prevent you from being the person (coughs) God has called you to be. Don't let the bully rob you of your God-given identity. So you say, well, that's the theory. How do we put that into practice? Let me just finish with this. Some of you I know will be sat there thinking, well, yes, I understand. Remember the past, the importance of prayer, priority putting God first, passion and persistence. I understand what you're saying, Paul. I understand that. But how do we do it? Hopefully, you get that. But, ah, you may be thinking, well, I'll never be king. I'll never be God like King David. What can I do? I'll never be able to do the things that he did. And that's true. But you take that example, you take that experience, and you let these become the foundation stones for writing your testimony, your story of faith. Let me just tell you about, finish with this, tell you about someone. Someone in the Bible. Someone who did something that changed the known world. Someone who was a catalyst for perhaps one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Someone who did something so simple and yet so important. Now this someone is not even named in the Bible. This someone, we don't even know whether they are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. 
The Bible doesn't say it. But this someone changed the spiritual atmosphere at the time and caused a change in the way that people view things forever. There's someone. Now, if I mention that Jesus was friends with Mary and Martha, many of you will know the stories in the Bible about Mary and Martha and that Jesus was their friend. And there's this one story in John 11, verse 1, in the message Bible, it says this. A man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who, who had massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much, is sick. I just wonder whether the music people just like to not make any way out on the stage. See, they sent someone, someone to tell Jesus that their brother was sick. That someone went to track down Jesus. That someone told Jesus about a friend in desperate need. And Jesus did the rest. Who are you? Are you just someone who is willing to go to Jesus and tell him about your friend, about your neighbour, about your work colleague, who needs a miracle? Can you be someone who knows they are a chosen, a royal priesthood, and can pray to Jesus for your family and for your friends? Just someone who's willing to pray. Just someone who's willing to go and tell their friends. That's the start of becoming a life rather than the food. No longer bullied by the ugly. No longer constrained and contained by the negative feelings, but stepping out to face the giants in your life with confidence.